And welcome to the Race FF Podcast. I am your host, Jaime Garcia. And today, guys, I have a little bit of updates uh, with my silver car because uh, I need to get it smogged. And uh, it's been a little bit of a, let's say, tedious process. Not super tedious. It's also like me kind of shooting myself in the foot. But anyways, that and... um, I gotta give a uh, credit for, well, credit where credits due for the um, topics for today. They really come from a podcast listener um, who I know always listens, and I greatly appreciate that. Uh, Khan from, uh, or h- how am I saying this? Khan from uh, Mid Atlantic, and uh, yeah, thank you for the ideas um also i can't really start uh this podcast without really talking about i know we normally talk about front wheel drive stuff um, but it in this podcast really racing competition is one of the things that i i like to focus on as well and for me, I think in terms of people that I look up to and admire, um, just with the amount, how can I phrase this? You know, to me, I'm always really impressed with the people that do the most with, I, I don't think it's fair to say the least, but people that do the most with like really, really stretch out every little thing that they have and just run things um, to the edge with every little thing that they have. And there is no bigger embodiment of that than the homie, someone who's, I, I think one of the most talented drivers I've ever met um jeff jones and he just recently won his first podium in formula d and i know it it may not be for everybody who's listening but it's an extremely competitive and sometimes subjective uh race class and you know when i started out um just getting into cars jeff jones was one of the first people that I met that was just like not only a hot shoe, but a mechanic, a super just like bootstraps guy that got everything done by himself. And uh, I just don't ever see this guy like quitting or not putting his utmost effort. And I think the amount of work that he does is very much um, like at a level that most people don't do or, to be honest, don't want to do because for the longest time, Jeff Jones's budget compared to other people that he would compete against in Formula D um, was like way, way smaller. And I mean... Yeah, like Jeff Jones has always been in my in the back of my mind whenever I think about like 
competing. And one of the things that I remember him and I having a conversation in the past was, um, you know, the only way to grow is to compete. And if you're not competing in a motorsports realm, you're not really going to grow as a driver. And seeing how much he's grown and built his program up, it was shown how how much he's grown in terms of like just his social media game and everything. It's like this man works so freaking hard, and yeah, just seeing him finally get into the to the podium. I mean, it's been a long time coming, and I'm just really really stoked. To know that he finally got to get through this hurdle to be on the podium. And I know it's going to continue to happen for him because he's just a beast of a person. I have nothing but love and respect for the man. I've known him for years now. Makes me feel super old. But um, yeah, Jeff Jones, congrats on your P3 against all those big dogs out there. Um I still think that in terms of uh, driver cal- like caliber of driver, um, he's one of the top out there in terms of uh, drifting and just overall car control. I, I think that that person's a freaking beast when I've met him driving. So, yeah, had to take a minute to you know give the homie his just desserts of like credibility for doing something that's incredibly difficult. Especially at the level where Formula D is now, where you have, you know, essentially factory teams building cars with, like, Roush, or those RTR Mustangs, and, yeah, like, I, I don't know, man, like, it's it's wild how hard that series is, and, yeah, so, I know he's gonna do more, um, he's not done, and, you know, Loco Boy... I can't tell you how many times I, I remember being at Jeff Jones's shop. It, for those that don't know, and I hope I'm not blowing him up, but it was near, let's just say it was near one of those uh, dismantlers. So, like, at night, nobody would bother us because <laughs> there's essentially junkyards and no one's there. So, yeah, that's kind of where I, I guess, cut my teeth on learning uh, about cars. And, of course, because all the friends that I made that were into cars were into drifting and rear wheel drive cars. I of course had to go with front wheel drive Hondas. (laughs) That's funny. But yeah, that, that man's an inspiration to me. He's someone who I constantly look at in terms of like how much more you can do with, uh, what you have available to you. And they've done way more, oftentimes than I've I've been able to do with, you know, better budgets maybe at a certain time. So yeah. Um gotta give him uh cred. I got nothing but love and respect for the man, so yeah. Um in terms of what I've been messing around with currently, um my car's up for smog inspection, so I need I need to re register uh pay the registration and uh smog it so here in california um we're no longer allowed to have well i mean to be fair um this was always illegal to have uh 
reflushed ECUs. However, for me, on um, my 8th Gen Civic, it's I, I literally just reflashed it because I wanted the speedometer to work. And I was told that putting the Civic Type R final drive would uh, have the speedometer not read right. And then thanks to Thomas Lee, I was able to get a decent, like, is stage zero tune and mind you my my car is like r actually stock like it's got no cap back i mean the only thing done on the ace gen um in terms of power is uh i guess canon uh filter <laughs> on the stock airbox and um what else what else oh yeah the type s uh oil pump and a high-tech baffle, but that's just more for longevity and um, CSF, uh, bigger radiator. That's, uh, and the final drive, and that's about it. I mean, the car's pretty stock. And again, no, it's got the OEM CAD and everything. So what I've been struggling with was, since I unmarried the Flash Pro, um... I had to reset the monitors and all I have is like the little dinky uh, scan gauge and of all the dinkiest ones, I have the economy version. So the scan gauge E, I just use that one to monitor my uh, engine temps because I'm kind of paranoid about that. And um, when you reset or do like a hard reset on your ECU, sometimes, uh, I don't know if it happens all the times, but um, you have to have the monitors ready. I did it for um, my GX470 uh, to do the smog for that one when I, when we, me and Caroline uh, purchased that one. So I didn't think that it was going to be that involved. And, you know, I'm a big Honda fanboy, but seriously, Honda... WTF with these, <laughs> like the protocols to do this, I was just like, what in God's name are you guys doing? So I, when, when I went to check on the car today to see like if it was ready to do like a smog, I had like three, um, listed as not ready. And then I did, um, just like Google searches and youtube video for like what it was to do um the reset procedure and man like it, it has been really frustrating so um the first two are kind of easy like let the car idle with the ac and the rear defroster on for like i think it was like 30 seconds or like three minutes or whatever anyways that one's done. Um, then it was a quarter throttle accelerate to 55 miles an hour. And that one will do like some of the evap or whatever. And then the one that I think I'm messing up or the one that I think is stuck on is the catalytic um, one. Because I have two different freaking uh, setups. I don't know which one's correct. Maybe somebody out here knows. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but, yeah. Like, 
either I'm supposed to drive between 55 and 60 miles an hour for 20 minutes, then bring the car to a gradual slow for 90 seconds, and then drive around town for 30 minutes, and or for 10 minutes, and then uh, let the car sit for 30 minutes uh, turned off, and then come back, and it should be cleared, which I've done, and it didn't work. Or it's drive for... Three minutes at 55 miles an hour at a quarter throttle and then bring down to 20 miles an hour without using the brakes and then at three quarters of a throttle bring it up to 55 miles an hour and drive it for five minutes then bring it down to 20 miles an hour without using the brakes and repeat that step like a couple times so i did that one like about five or six <laughs> rounds and have not been able to get that i i successfully overheated the living shit out of my rear rotors that for sure happened but uh yeah so i i need to invest in a proper obd2 scanner to tell me which one I need to reset and figure out how to find the correct uh, procedure for that. And if you do know, go ahead and message me on Instagram. Uh, that is where I am most uh, receptive. So, yeah. But on to today's topics. And again, thanks to Khan for for some of these topics I, I do appreciate that and I, I need to have you on so we can kind of go over some of the topics where I feel like I may not have enough information just on my own so um in terms of one of the topics that I'm hijacking from Khan is Kind of this whole idea of new versus old. So given the recent success of um, Mr. Scott Adams driver development um, with the RSX out at Nationals, and yes, he he had, I mean, he finished second. Obviously, uh, not where he wanted to be. Um, there's some issues, too, with the chassis in terms of uh, how well they can take bumps, if that's really a thing, and bump steer. That rear geometry, you just have to kind of, like, stop it, and that's kind of the only way to deal with it. Um, 10th Gen Civic, given the information that I've been told about the weakness of running over curbing with uh, the shocks that are available for it. Um, those are fairly significant weaknesses. However, the 8th Gen Civic Si, which is one that I know fairly well, <clears throat> and one that... Um, oh, now I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with the name, but... 
Jeez. Now, now I do feel bad about struggling with the name. It's, it's just that I'm used to people's uh, Instagrams. So, Brian Bird. Uh, I think it is. Yeah, Dane Bird. Dane Bird. I just had him on. God. Uh, I, I know people buy their cars a lot more. Um, so, yeah, Dane Bird. Um, both in him and I uh, talked about this, but we kind of think that if you're new to Honda Challenge, and obviously H2 is the really the only series that's um, kind of competitive at a national level, um, that, I think, is the platform to build versus a golden era Honda. <clears throat> and... I, th I think they are going to be the future. The chassis rigidity of those cars, I think, are, are better. But, you know, what are the, like, real pros and cons to that chassis versus, you know, a golden era Honda? And I'll, I'll be honest. Um, when I first got my Ace Gen, I really had an idea of I want to go after a certain lap time at Buttonwillow. 13 clockwise. Everybody knows this one that's from SoCal. It's the two-minute mark. And that is, like, it used to mean a lot more, but it's still kind of, uh, for lack of a fra better phrase for it, is really really a, a kind of a gloating title to give yourself to say that you're a sub-two-minute driver because that's not that's not an easy thing to do. And, uh, having a sub two minute vehicle usually means you're driving either like a pretty decently built Porsche or the new Supra or something like that. Those cars are consistently sub two minutes or BMW M3s, but certain gens, um, more than others, um, are able to hit that sub two minute mark. I myself am currently at a 207. Realistically, I could be at a 205. But my car is, again, with me in it, uh, 3,030 pounds, making 186 to the wheels. So, <laughs> underpowered and uh, overweight is an understatement. But it just kind of shows the capability of that car. Because, as I said earlier, it's, like, short of the Flash Pro, like, the, the car is stock and, like, compliant to um, the California's, like, strictest uh, smog rulings. Which, again, everybody has their own opinions, but we don't have safety inspections, so that's why I can drive with the... A bucket seat and a four point and six point harness and still have my airbags uh, programmed on so yeah i i think that in overall from what i've looked at the amount of work that i've had to put into the eg versus the amount of work that i've had to put into the into the ace gen if we're looking at which one is getting me to the quote-unquote pace, race pace, faster? I mean, I 
I would be hard-pressed to say that the 8th Gen is a lot easier. To give you an idea, most Honda Challenge H4 cars are doing like about a 204. Some of the faster ones are doing like 203s. I, I know that Carlos may have done like a 202 in an H4 car. That's freaking flying. But, I mean, with my EG, I think the best that I've pulled out, and again, it's underbuilt and blah, 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 blah. Racer excuses. I have no arrow. So, um, I think it's 213. And mind you, the EG has a built motor. It's got intake header, exhaust. It's got good, um, a good uh, coilover. Uh, well, it's really just conies and uh, ground controls, but still like a noted well setup for the car. And it's running the Toyos. I think I did the 207 on like used RC1s. I'm very particular to the RC1s, I think, for time trial. I, I like those tires a lot. So I really think that if you're going out there... F- in terms of investment of like seat time, a eighth gen Civic Coupe, just because it's a lighter, um, is really the way to go to go into H2. I've gone into what are the biggest weaknesses of the chassis, i.e. the brakes. Um, but there's so many like, little hacks on there and you don't spend a lot of money into it because there probably hasn't been that much R&D done to it but it needs very little with the EGs I mean you're looking to swap in all of these bushings for spiracles or hardened rubber or like they make every trick of the trade for for those things like camber arms and then you want to go spherical mounting points where as like, in terms of uh, simplicity for the ace gen, you just need ASR camber plates and you just call up freaking redshift and or standard as they are now. Um, and you, you have a freaking coilover setup that's going to be bitching. And then in terms of bushings, you just either go the low budget way that I did with the Moog uh, front compliance ones and then you're pretty much set. Um... I forget who makes the rear sway bar for it. I think it's progress. But yeah, I mean, you do those little things and then you have a car that can go that pace. Uh, It's not that same with with the EG. I mean, the learning curve that I had to run into for uh, freaking um, driving out my first race with the wrong size tires, I mean first corner in i'm doing a 360 out into the dirt just like losing all my confidence and i don't know i feel like when you look at old versus new i feel like you're not dealing with old car problems as much because newer cars are just more reliable so like i don't know like i mean If you've been following me, you know how I have a full working spare distributor and how, like, I'm getting anal about having spare parts. But I I 
daily drive and track my freaking ace gen and just like yeah it's chill dude like it's it's reliable it makes good power and it's you know i'm not asking a lot out of it so it's just gonna work well so um, i feel like you don't get the style points that you do with the golden era um vehicles but like i guess if i was to do this over again well i mean i am in socal so i'm kind of screwed with uh with uh trying to get a uh like an ace gen would never fit into h4 but yeah i i'm just in the screwed situation for that um but not like the um eg i i love it it's a card that i've always wanted and to race one i'm I'm still stoked about it but like in terms of like the easy factor the freaking ace gen is way easier and i, I don't find myself like spending you know the 20 30 or 40 50 bucks here for 55 uh, whatever dollars um on the eg that i do and it's like man like little little things that that's what it it kills you with these cars it's like the dying from a thousand cuts like even motor mounts and whatever and like on the ace gen i only have the one rear mount and that's it and the freaking thing feels good so yeah i i don't know i feel like um if i was going ace into just building specifically for honda challenge h h2 i would get the most cost effective um ace gen coupe have my buddy eli put a cage in it and then just like i don't know make sure it makes the (laughs) correct amount of horsepower and just go from there i mean i'd probably just reach out to e-man and uh just be like here you go like do what you need to fix the transmission, look at the engine and then, you know, bill me later, whatever. But yeah, um, that, that's what I think, uh, would be a lot easier in terms of, uh, a good car for Honda challenge H2. I'm kind of stuck here in SoCal in terms of like not being able to do that. And again, not really complaining about it it's just that it's going to be like the more expensive route to go with the whole golden era honda um than to go with the next gen because i mean golden era hondas right now are kind of an ace gen civic size are kind of going around the same price like the same price so it's like i don't know like five or six grand you could get like good running condition si versus like and golden arrow honda and then you have to replace everything on it because they've just been rattled but again style points are are real with the egs and dcs and even das so yeah that's that's my thought on it i think if you're starting out it's definitely a better route to go with the east gen civic si i think you know, not a lot of people have been using those in in Honda Challenge, and I think for new up and comers, that's really 
really going to be one of the ones to look at. Um, obviously, those engines are still pretty expensive because they're just sought after. So, yeah, it, it's still not at the level of like a Type R um, in terms of like the B18s uh, money, but still, like, yeah, that that is that is uh, a lot of money. I would not want to be running a Type R engine because I, I'd be just terrified of breaking it. And everything uh, around that Type R engine is now like essentially you you're dealing with like museum level quality stuff or museum level uh, price wise. So. One of the things that I also wanted to talk about was kind of the issue that I run into every once in a while, and that is like prepping for um, prepping for a track day, prepping for like a race or what have you. And obviously you want to have the tools that you know you're going to need and the spares and in terms of spares, I always think that you should get stuff that are very unique to, like, Hondas. And, uh, again, I apologize to everybody at the junkyards uh, recently. But I'm going to tell you that you want to get, like, spare alternator bolts. Because those are kind of unique. So those can be very helpful. Bolts and stuff like that. Y you guys don't realize those can be so key <laughs> out there. And, um... Yeah, like having little spare parts and for me having the spare distributor and the main ECU relay that those two things are like you you can't go to the racetrack without them. And you know I always have the issue of I have too many cars, I think, <laughs> in that I like to have like my tools to like swap out wheels uh, for my silver Civic. If I ever needed to like change a flat, like I carry one of the small Harbor Freight aluminum jacks in my car just because I hate using the scissor jacks. And if I ever need to swap out a tire, I want to be able to use my little um, impact driver, uh, my Ryobi stuff. So that's kind of like I, I carry those tools, but I want to like kind of reiterate that it's it's a good idea to have like a go bag and just use or rather put all the tools that you know you're going to need like specific stuff for hondas like an eight millimeter um quarter inch uh drive socket and wrench for distributor caps and just like knowing the layout of what are like typical things that uh break under your car like there's one thing that I always still struggle with, which is um, I don't have a spark plug uh, socket, like a 16 mil or uh, whatever the American size is. I don't do the division numbers. I don't think they're real. Um, but yeah, the 16 millimeter um, with like a hose or whatever. Uh, yeah, those are kind of important to have. So those are always a good thing to have ready out on your track day. Um, cause you know, you, you don't want to be out on the track and knowing that you can't take apart certain things and yeah, Hondas are super easy to work on. 
Um, but anything can be difficult when you don't have the right tool for it. And yeah. So in terms of prepping, um, there's that. I like to have the little tire inflator out of all the tire inflators that I've seen. I kind of say that the portable one from Milwaukee is the coolest one because you kind of set it and forget it in terms of those who know the, um, what is it that, uh, rotisserie chicken uh prep thing so yeah um good tire pressure gauge pyrometer if you have that something to take notes with these are all things that i'm learning and i'm still trying to do better at um but yeah uh i i think external batteries oh my god so i like the little power banks i have like two of those and make sure you have your actual charging cable for it because that is absolutely necessary. Um, but yeah, just having spares, having spares of all these things. And um, I don't know. I, I feel like those are pretty good um, tools and setups to have. Um, torque wrench, obviously. Um, Harbor Freight one is good enough for like torquing your wheels but yeah in terms of like prepping it's just having a list and like a to-go bag like a bag that's ready to go with those tools so like if you can afford it just go to freaking harbor freight and just have like one bag with all the tools you need to take off a distributor swap out little things that you need um God willing, uh, you never have to do this, but um, make sure you get a 32 to take off an axle in case that ever fails on you, because that can happen. And especially if you're cheap like me that run uh, rock auto axles <laughs> and and uh, auto zone ones. And I mean, me and me and Carlos are the same in that when we we're running the cheapest axles you can. So yeah. And, and get that lifetime warranty because, I mean, you know, D-series stuff is uh, pretty universal. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my little, um, little thing of, like, what to have in terms of car prep. It's always having spares of things that you know will break. And you hope you don't have to replace them. So... Yeah. Um, hmm. Yeah, aside from that, I mean, I don't know what else. Um, fire extinguisher is another good one. I, I, I honestly think for the money, you guys should be looking at those, um, what is it, fire sticks? There's like a 50 second one and a 100 second one or something like that. Those things are super easy to put into the car and just have it ready to go. And even if you if you don't want to spend the money and get like a fire suppression system, like you should have at least that because it, it even if it's not your car that's on fire and it's like you're in the pits and somebody else's car catches on fire, those little fire sticks, they'll they'll do something. You'll be able to go out there and help out a buddy and hopefully their car doesn't burn down. So, with that being said, in the next couple of weeks, I might be making a big purchase. Uh, 
I might be doing some fancy boy stuff. So stay tuned for that. And I'll be reaching out to more people to have on the podcast to fill in this space. Either way, guys, um, I actually wanted to reach out to anybody and wanted to see if I could get this uh, before the Halloween um, Halloween day. And I kind of want to see if, you know, reach out to the listeners a little bit and see, do you guys have any ghost stories related to the racetrack? <laughs> Or any any creepy stuff like that. Like I, I'd like to get into the mood, you know. Um, I, I'm already like trying to get into the Halloween spirit. I, I just went to Jack in the Box and they have a basic witch uh, shake. <laughs> it tasted crappy, but uh, you know, short of a PSL, that's that's about as uh, basic witch as I'm getting. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any like ghost stories related to like racetracks or something like that, or even things that you guys have heard, I, I think that'd be an interesting thing. Like, especially out at like certain racetracks late at night. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had like weird uh, incidences, and hopefully it's uh, broad enough, or maybe even at uh, mountain roads. I might share a couple stories that I've heard from Mountain Roads. Because I, I do have, I think, like two. So I might have two stories to share about Mountain Roads with scary stuff. Huh. Yeah, that's true. So if you have any scary stories related to racetrack or Mountain Roads, kind of trying to keep it within the realm of... Uh, of like uh you know racing so that it's still kind of connected to the title of the podcast uh for race ff um but yeah um with that guys i think that's it for today <laughs> if you have any information on monitors <laughs> and how to reset them what's the proper procedure message me and uh also if you have any ghost stories appreciate that as well and uh, yeah Guys, um, thanks again for your support. Thanks again for listening. And uh, I will see you next Monday. Thank you.